This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. girls and your dad was in the navy and it still is okay Uh we weren't sure if i i wasn't sure if he still was because when your dad came in the the, i'm really going to date myself but when your dad came in the navy as an enlisted guy as an e1 i'd already had 10 years in service let's just put it that way so yeah i really feel old now kelly um for (laughs) sure (laughs) <laughs> so patty came in a year after him though yeah so i feel slightly younger than you <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Oh, that's so uh, funny. yeah so and you started off i guess in was it stafford virginia mm-hmm. stafford virginia we, we bounced all over the world we were stationed in italy and then virginia and san diego and so i think that's what helps it sculpt me into this person I am now, which is I'm very open-minded and I dive into a lot of things. And that definitely translated into myself as an adult being that military brat. And I'm sure your household was probably, I would imagine, very similar to mine. Very, very disciplined. Very disciplined. <laughs> yeah. Very militaristic to your shock, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not at all. No, uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't dare say yeah. You know, everything was yes, sir. Yes, no, sir. sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Taught you those uh, real basic manners very early on. My mom had me making our beds by two years old. Yeah. I'm with not the, with like the two angles, or three. right? Yeah. If, maybe not with the hospital corners, but like it was the expectation that we <laughs> made our beds. It was like very regimented. So it definitely trickled down into like our everyday lifestyle. And it's funny because the difference between like my childhood and then my fiance, he doesn't come from any military background whatsoever. He was just like living large and having a blast. And I was like, Oh no, like I did not have that same experience. We were very regimented and very disciplined all the time. Were you always into sports and track and stuff like that in high school and growing up? Um, I always was. And it was motivated just because I, again, being in the military, I had to find like quick ways to meet kids and, you know, like make friends. So like as a kid, I would race little boys in the street or I would, you know, be on rollerblades or whatever it was. But when we moved to Italy, uh, it was our house was the only like American household. And then it was all Italians. And I kid you not, we made friends by playing soccer with the Italian kids. So I would like, run around with them, play soccer with them. Um, and then eventually that grew into like my love for running, which led into me joining the track team in seventh grade and then 
me finding out that I was a child prodigy. So he essentially like wanted to insure my legs at that point. And then I ran track <laughs> at the Naval Academy. <laughs> so you ended up graduating high school in Virginia then? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you, what? of course, you know, was it your parents that influenced you to go to the Naval Academy or was this something that you truly wanted to do? It's like, no, that's definitely my career path. Oh, 100% was influenced by them. Okay. Yeah. And it was because I had never seen a lot of, I mean, I grew up seeing my dad put on his uniform every single day and being around sure. like his his friends and his peers. And I really, similarly to like my platform now, I didn't see a lot of women in the military. Um, I especially didn't see a lot of like feminine women in the military. So I didn't think it was really an option for me because mm-hmm. I was, you know, very into fashion. I was very girly, I, you know, all of those things. I wanted to study journalism and be in media. I was like, Navy's not it. But they were smart. They started sending me to track and cross-country camps at the Naval Academy in eighth grade. So every summer, I went to the Naval Academy, kind of against my will. And (laughs) so then by my senior year, I applied, you know, because my parents were like, oh, you're going to apply. I don't care if you don't want to go. You're still going to apply. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll apply. Um, Went through the whole process. As we all know, it takes about eight months to apply to the Naval Academy. So by the end of it, I was like, holy cow, I think this is something I really want to pursue. And um, I got scouted for different colleges, SEC schools, that sort of thing. And after visiting a lot of different schools, the Naval Academy just sticks out among all others. It's so different. And I'm, I'm the kind of person that wants to do something different. So yeah. that's why. That's why I ended up there. I wanted to, to choose the hardest most difficult path. It's definitely the Navy. <laughs> so you said something I found um, kind of humorous because you said I never really saw that many women in the military, even though I grew up in a military family, um, and I didn't see that many that were girly girls, right? And I'm paraphrasing. Right. Um, and it was funny because I entered the army year after your dad, and I had the same perception. And you know, some of my girlfriends and I, when we were a little bit younger, we were like, we are not going to be those ladies as we age into rank, right? We're going to still be cautious, you know, we're going to be conscious of how we look and how we do our hair and how we dress when we're off and things of that nature. So I really thought that we had broken that barrier, but you've, you've told me that we haven't. So (laughs) So slowly, but surely, I mean, even me, like, I mean, it's 2020, you know, it's 2020 folks. And I work in recruiting and I'll go to UCLA or I'll go to the Ohio State University. I'll go to these places in uniform. People come up to me and they're like, I had no idea women like you were in the Navy. Or I had, like I've, I've <laughs> never, yeah, they're like, I, I've never met a woman in uniform before. And I'm like, that's terrifying. Like, it just, it's so crazy to me. And so on the one hand, it's frustrating me. On the other hand, it's very encouraging and like it inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing and like try to reach the public with women can do it too and women we're doing both and there's a place for women in the military and so it's fueled me and a lot of my passions which I'll get into (laughs) that's why I've done a lot of what I've done so was it 2014 that you graduated yes 2014 So, so you ran track the whole four years that you were there no, I ran track the first two years, and I actually started the Naval Academy dance team my junior year. Dance so team. I was one of the first eight that did it. I didn't even yeah. know they had a dance team. I did not either. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Well, and it was because the Air Force had one, and we were like, what the heck? Why does the Naval Academy have one? <laughs> exactly. So, and that was another, I actually had never danced in my entire life. Your sister, um, 
I guess Laura, she's also in the Navy. So does she go through the Academy as well? Or she end up going and enlisted or OCS? So I had both my sisters joined the Navy, oh, both all, older sisters, all three of you, wow. all three of us joined the military. We all joined the Navy, um, but we all took very different paths. So Laura, my oldest, she did not go to the Naval Academy. She was stubborn like me, um, except she did not apply. So she was like, I don't want to do it. I didn't want to do it initially, but at least I applied because I ended up changing my mind. Thank goodness. Um, she went to Virginia Tech Corps of Cadets and did that program. Gotcha. Um, Unfortunately, it was there when the shootings happened oh. in 2007, I believe. Yeah. It was. Um, she lost a handful of friends and she enlisted in the Navy a few months later. So yeah. um, so she had a very different path. Um, she ended up doing intelligence for 10 years and she just just got out of the Navy. Um, yeah, it was just incredible. And my middle sister went to the Naval Academy as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we're big Navy family. <laughs> so now I'm the only one still active duty out of the three of us. After the Naval Academy, it looks like you ended up going into surface warfare. Is that what your assignment was? And was that something by choice that you ended up wanting to go into? Or what was the, the path to that? Well, and this is something I tell a lot of, to my applicants now that I'm working in recruiting. You need to enter the military with the the foundation being service, you know, wherever you end up at, you need to be okay with because the military is so unpredictable. Um, I actually entered the Naval Academy wanting to be a public affairs officer. Well, quickly found out they don't, they don't commission those out of the Naval Academy. You know, um, if you do any kind of research, you realize they only commission line officers out of, out of the Naval Academy. So I was doing my research and then um, started exploring different options. I was too short to fly. So aviation wasn't an option for me. Um, the minimum height is 5'2", which I'm 5'2", but they still take a lot of different measurements <laughs> to be able to fit in the cockpit, as you might know. So it was my butt to knee length ratio. It was two, it was an inch off. Random, I know. Um, but Never yeah. knew that either. Yeah, okay. Yep. So, um, but you know, everything, everything works out the way it's supposed to. So aviation was cut out. That left the Marine Corps, Navy SEALs, and nuke options. Um, I don't know about you. I was not smart enough to go nuclear whatsoever. <laughs> so <laughs> the people who end up going subs, they're like geniuses. And I was struggling with Chem 1 as a plebe. So that was not happening for me. Um, so then that left Marine Corps ground and surface warfare and SEALs, which at the time I was not going to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> you know, could barely pick up my uh, my suitcase at 5'2 and 100 pounds. So <laughs> that was an option for me. And I actually grew up by Marines my whole life because my dad was attached to um, Marine units as a medical officer. I grew up near Quantico, Virginia. And I knew my personality probably wouldn't mesh quite that well with the Marine Corps. So <laughs> that left surface warfare. And I was like, you know what? Navy, it's about the ocean. It's about being on ships anyway. So I'm going to yeah. dive into that opportunity. And surface warfare is great if you have other interests because you can do it and laterally transfer or apply to other areas of the Navy. So that's what I went into with that intention. Yeah. So at some point, though, you ended up going, I guess, into public affairs. Was this something that um, your commander got you into or is it something that you saw as an opportunity to further advance your career? So actually not public affairs. Now I'm a human resources officer. Oh, OK. So I transferred into human resources. Reason being, and again, everything happens for a reason. Um, 
by year two of being a surface warfare officer, I, I started getting chronic migraines. Um, this kind of developed over time. Um, and I found out you cannot serve on a ship and get migraines. So I got medically pulled off the ship, which again, I didn't know any of that was a thing. Um, and so when I started reporting them to like my neurologist and my medical provider, they were like, you can't serve mm. anymore on a ship. Um, and it's because the treatments that you undergo, they take, you know, you have to be attached to a shore command. You have to get treatments for them, blah, blah, blah. So I was actually really worried at the time they weren't transferring anyone into any other community, um, whether it would be HR, PAO. I talked to all the different line um, and restricted line like officers and was kind of like, hey, like, you know, how do I apply to get into your community? And they were like, you know, we are at max capacity. You know, you might have to look into getting medically separated. I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? You know, like for me, that was absolutely just the worst news because I come from an extensive Navy family. I was born in a Naval hospital. I went to the Naval Academy with the intention of serving. And I hate personally feeling like I had failed at something. Um, you know, I didn't want to feel like I failed at my Naval career or failed at being on the ship or failed at being an officer because I get these chronic migraines. So the only community that had availability and would take me because I was no longer sea duty deployable was the HR community. That happens to be the hardest community get, to get into. Is <laughs> so it, really? it was like, it is because it's the smallest. The, the human resources community is the tiniest um, and it's very, very competitive. So I was like, great, I'm going to, I'm going to get separated, you know, from the Navy. There's absolutely no way I'm going to make it into this community. Well, by the grace of God, I was able to put together a, a really good package and go to the board and kind of sell to them why I would be good in their community. One of their core competencies is recruiting. And, you know, I've, I've had recruiting experience. I spoke on behalf of the Naval Academy. I had public affairs experience. Um, I've done a lot of speaking engagements in general. And so I put all that into my application and I was kind of like, look, I can still be an asset to the Navy and I can make a difference. I can get into recruiting. I would be a great human resources officer and this is why. And I was one of two officers that got selected on that board of 40 people. Wow! So it was literally a miracle. And they sent me to Columbus, Ohio within six weeks. <laughs> so I was like, Columbus, Ohio. I don't want to go there. Um, but that's what launched my career and now recruiting. So now I've been working in recruiting for over four years and it has been incredible. And it's absolutely where I feel like I'm the most value added biggest asset to the Navy so far. What now, were you always a medical officer recruiter or was it, um, that you were a commander of recruiting or something of that nature? Right. So, um, Again, as an HR officer, it's just really important that we receive as much experience as possible. They want us to specialize in one of these communities. And in this case, I chose recruiting to specialize in. So I was the officer programs officer, which meant I was in charge of all of officer recruiting um, for Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia. I did that for about 18 months. And then, then I transferred into the medical recruiter role. Mm -hmm. And as a medical recruiter... Um, 
that's that's a position where you can either like stand idly by and not really maximize it as a leadership opportunity um but if you want to be competitive later in your career you have to kill it absolutely kill it and that's what my mentors were telling me they were like if you're going to be a medical officer recruiter you need to be recruiter of the year like you need and i was like okay (laughs) so i was like i'll be recruiter of the year um so I was medical officer recruiter for about a year and a half and I was recruiter of the year. And hey, congratulations. Put, awesome. Thank you. Um, I put over 25 medical officers into the Navy, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. So I kind of squeezed that for all it was worth. And then I got orders here now to Los Angeles, California. Now I'm in charge of enlisted recruiting um, here in Los Angeles as the officer in charge. So it's been kind of a crazy path but again I'm here to specialize and I've really felt like I've been able to utilize my skills and my talents and my voice to help the recruiting community that way yeah but you're still modeling you're still doing all of those things I guess that's your passion that's that's the direction that you're wanting to go into right well I actually don't ever intend on modeling full-time okay um you know I never I, I don't think I'm like Christy Brinkley or Kendall Jenner or anything like that I love what it represents, you know, it shatters that stereotype. It gives you, you know, just another avenue to extend that women have this ability to not get fit into a box, not be in a certain mold, that we can be multifaceted, that, you know, we can be unexpected. And I want that to become the new norm. You know, I don't want it to be such a shock that I'm in the Navy. Now, some people are absolutely floored that I'm in the military. And I always want to follow up with why. Why is it so surprising that I'm in the military? And, you know, years and years ago, I was like, thanks. Like, I didn't know what to say to that. Sure. But now I'm kind of, I'm frustrated by that because I'm like, it should be so normal for women of all shapes, sizes, colors, whatever their aesthetic is, doesn't matter, but to be able to serve. And just recently, Sports Illustrated opened their third annual swim search. And I've never, ever considered doing Sports Illustrated. I'm like, I'm not seven feet tall. You know, I'm not these huge giant models that are, are super serious. And, you know, in New York Fashion Week, but they're looking for women who are well-rounded, who represent a brand, who are standing for something stronger than themselves. And, you know, I do enjoy modeling, but if if I have an opportunity to be the face for women, to show them that they can do absolutely anything, they can serve, they can model, they can be feminine, they can be anything they want, I'm going to I'm gonna attack it and I'm going to embrace that. So it's just another opportunity to showcase that. And that's why I'm hoping to win the swim search. You never know. <laughs> so we'll see. That's great. Kelly, I listened to a podcast that you had hosted and um, you had interviewed a classmate who is in San Diego. Yes. Um, the discussion you both had was um, – veterans are harder your, your worst critic as a veteran is a veteran right and i think you might also agree sometimes women are harder critics on other women mm-hmm. um i know i found that in my career and then as i as i found as i got older women became my best allies and my biggest cheerleaders um and Absolutely. so i'm curious as to like are you seeing that um and i think that's part of your platform right you probably have peers um female officers other sailors that are um not so happy about what you're doing, who are other women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you say to that? How do you respond to that? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, on the one hand, I have been able to build this incredible platform following, um, really encourage women and women encourage me as I move forward in these different opportunities. That is great. And that's something to be celebrated. I'm, I try to focus on that. On the other hand, you know, I just realized the other day, um, I came across some old photos and I decided to, I was going to send them to a classmate. I was like, oh, like I should send these to her to find out she had unfollowed me on Facebook and unfollowed me on social media. And I was like, oh, and that's, you know, that's not the first time that's happened. I've had a lot of female classmates who, you know, do message me and say like, oh, it must be so easy for you or this must not be that difficult or you just must not be that committed to the military, you know, and, and I look at that and I say like, but that's exactly what I'm trying to stand here and represent that you can, you can do both, you know, and there's a way to navigate it. And, and even whenever um, I did that interview with Lieutenant Arabia Shanklin, who was on my podcast, you know, she deployed three times. She's a surface warfare officer. She was a flag aide last year amidst being a flag aide was enrolled in a professional acting career. You know, she made time for it and she was planning a wedding and has a husband. Like she was doing all of these things. And so the point that I'm trying to make is it starts with you first and like you owning that confidence first and then bringing people in your circle who are going to support you and then you prioritizing you're going to make time for what matters to you. And as frustrating as it can be to receive that negative criticism from classmates or from people in the military, which happens all the time. And at times I'm like, I'm just going to shut my social media down. Why am I even sharing this? You know, I'm, not, I'm like, it's not even worth it. I'm getting attacked for doing something like Sports Illustrated or whatever. I remember for every one negative message, there are 80 people direct messaging me, texting me, supporting me, saying, thank you so much for showing that we can do this. Because you are doing that, I am doing X, Y, or Z. I'm like, all right, that's when it's worth it. So if I can continue encouraging people that way, that's incredible. But it is pretty amazing to see that most of that negative energy comes from veterans or comes from people who are actively serving. Exactly. Because I don't know if it's just they don't want to admit that they too could pursue a passion or they too could do other opportunities. Um, maybe they, they're they scared. Maybe they're afraid of what their peers would say. Maybe they're afraid of what their chain of command would say. But that's why I try to continually equip people with the tools to pursue their passions because I've had two different commands now, both of which have encouraged me and supported me. And I've had that open communication with them and it's not impossible, you know, and you have to stop being scared of what other people are going to think. You know, maybe some people think I'm the laughing stock of the Navy, but then there's also probably a a million other people who are like, wow, that's inspiring, you know, and that's the audience that I want to reach and I want to encourage. I think I love how you, how you, you know, walked through that. I think, um, you know, I have a, a friend who was in the class of 80, the first graduate class of women from West Point, And one of her comments wow. was, never read the comments. And I thought that was brilliant, right? And so mm-hmm. it's very hard in this social media world of not reading the comments. Um, I will say I have read a lot of your Instagram just in the past hour or so. <laughs> and all the positive notes that you get that thankfully you post, um, you inspired me to do this or choose this path, which I think is, is so great. 
And I think one of the other things that, that you talked about in this podcast was you have to be really good at your job first and you have to prioritize. I am a naval officer first. And so everything I'm doing, following my passion, I have to remind myself, I'm not just Kelly, the private citizen. I'm Kelly, United States Naval officer, and, and I represent a whole lot more. So I'm very mindful of how I'm behaving or what I'm doing. Um, and you and this lieutenant are obviously, right. you, know, you are recruiter of the year. So you are proving... Um, no, no one's going to say I can't do this extracurricular activity because I am, to use your phrase, I'm killing it in my in my day job. So I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Well, it's funny because, you know, luckily I have my best friend. She was my roommate at the Naval Academy. And she's now a Marine Corps officer. And she is extremely excellent at her job as well. But, you know, I'm not one of those people who is going to share on social media oh, I was ranked this on my fit rep or, oh, I was this or, oh, I was recruiter of the year or, oh, I won this award. Oh, I got this. Like that stuff I'm very, very proud of. But professionally, I don't feel like it's necessary to validate that myself online by sharing that. Um, you know, I know what I'm doing. My chain of command knows what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to put my best foot forward in my career every single day. That's where my passion is in the military. But people don't see that online. They don't get the full picture. They just see a couple modeling pictures or they see me doing a podcast or they see me doing Sports Illustrated and they're like, oh, how does she have time for that? That must mean she's not committed. You know, that's just absolutely ridiculous. And my best friend will always swoop in and the comments will be like, did you know that Kelly recruited more medical officers in 2019 than any other officer recruiter in the nation? And it's like, it's, they don't respond back to those comments. <laughs> of course, they don't respond back to that. But I just sit there and smile and I'm like, you just, you don't know. You don't yeah. know the other side of it. Um, so you're completely correct. I think you cannot really pursue passions and hobbies while active duty if you're not already excelling in your career. That's that's the first thing you always have to check off. If you're killing it, you're doing a great job, that's when you start looking at adding more things to your plate. But if you're not doing that, it's going to be a distraction and your chain of command is not going to support you because they're going to say, well, you're not doing a good job because you're opening up a, you know, a, a fitness brand or a gym or you're being a, a personal trainer. You're too focused on that. Like I need you focused on your primary obligation, which is the mission. So you need to be focused on the mission first. It's even more so now, I think because of social media and people put themselves out there and it could be, of course, they're trying to mentor or influence other individuals through their social media platforms. And yet, you know, the command or individuals within that, like you said, see that they're using some of their avenue to create fame or do whatever. And they're not doing the right things. Back in the day, it was still the same thing. I mean, it wasn't social media, you know, necessarily. But even if you went and did something like you're an enlisted person and you go beyond getting, say, an associate's degree within certain MOSs, it was perceived that you were then not spending enough troop time. You know, if you were an individual oh. that had a bachelor's degree or even went and got a master's degree, well, then shame on you. You're not a good NCO, right? If you're oh, an officer, wow. yeah, and an officer had similar types of things. And I think it's always been there. Sometimes we hold other people to higher standards than we hold ourselves to. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a better way of putting it, yeah, Patty. Definitely. I agree. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah, but I think, and we talked about this before, Kellyanne Dylan. I don't think it's just the military doing it to the military. I think women are harder critics on other women sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. I think as we get older, we get a little. I, I say, I say, my my friends got much cooler and much more 
um, sophisticated. What happened was I grew up, right? I stopped being mm-hmm. catty and small-minded and I could be a cheerleader for my, for my friends that were women. So I think it, it could be in every, every sector of society. Sometimes we can be, instead of lifting one another up, we, we want to lift ourselves up by stomping on someone else, which is absolutely not productive at all. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the narrative that needs to change, you know, whether it's about service members or it's about women or it's whoever you are, you know, seeing online, whatever it is, it's, you know, not necessarily jumping to, I can't believe she thinks that's okay. Or I can't believe he posted that or, oh, that's just it. You know, whatever it is that gives you that knee jerk reaction that is typically coming from either a place of insecurity or a place of, you know, you know, jealousy or whatever it is. And that needs to immediately be squashed and you have a conversation with yourself and think, wait, 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 why do I have a problem with this? You know, like she should, she should share that news or she should be doing that. Or how amazing is it is that she has, you know, the time or the capabilities to open up this, this business or whatever, like changing the language first. And it takes practice. Cause I think as women, especially we have that knee jerk reaction to compare immediately and, and be like, of course she's doing that. Or I can't believe she's at this place or, Oh, another picture of her in a bikini. That's ridiculous. And it's like, wait, let's, let's change that language for a second and say, wow, I'm so proud that she has the confidence to share another bikini photo or how incredible is it that she puts that time into fitness or how incredible that she's learned how to balance that schedule and and maintain passions outside of her career. No one, it takes work to do that over time. So now I find myself so much happier online because instead of that immediate like judgment or, you know, frustration or that insecurity or anything like that speaking, I'm like, Oh, well, look at her go. That's awesome. Way to go. Or I see members of the military and I'm like, even a guy, if I see a guy like do a little workout video, I'm like, he's feeling himself. Love it. Look at you. And I'll repost it and I'll be like, this is awesome. You know, but it's just so, it's something you have to work on changing that language and changing that narrative for yourself. And you're going to be so much happier for it. And you're going to start having those conversations. And if it is coming from a place of insecurity, then you're going to have those conversations and be like, why did that bother me? Is it because Mm -hmm. I haven't made time for fitness? Is it because I haven't pursued passions in the way that I want to? Is it because I don't feel confident enough to share that? And then you start reflecting and potentially changing the way you're going about life. You know, it's, it's, um, something that we've talked about in the past too on this show is that you really as a veteran while you're on active duty have to build a long enough runway as you're getting closer to that time frame when you're going to get out so that you understand what your passion is you start um, programming yourself and doing those right things so that it'll make an easier transition of course hardly anybody listens but you're making a valid point for those people who do and actually then start creating a secondary career, maybe two to three, four, ten years prior to them getting off active duty, if they post that on social media or they're putting it out there that they're doing something outside of their day job where people hold them to a high standard there, even if they are doing everything above and beyond what they're supposed to do while they're on active duty, they're still going to be frowned upon in a lot of cases because you're not putting what they believe to be, again, 100% of your time plus 
in the military. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, we do need to, to block all of that. We need to stop those kinds of stigma that, you know, we need to have people who are thinking further down in the careers, thinking about what they do outside of the military. It's a healthy conversation. It's a healthy thing Absolutely. for individuals to do. Yeah, they, they have to think about not just their career, but man, if they're into CrossFit and that's what they want to do and that's all they post about and, and all that kind of stuff, it may look like that's all they're doing. They may have taken that video at two o'clock in the morning for all I know. Mm-hmm. They're inside a gym. You know, there's lights. Right. It could be at eight o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't know the difference. So perception is one of those things that we really got to check ourselves. And I like that, that that's that's where it really starts is is the individual. You've got to check yourself mm-hmm. and make sure, is it you when you start getting those thoughts or is that person really a problem? Because if you're diving exactly. into it, you might find that Kelly is a, a stud, you know, a superstar and what she does. And maybe I'm just making all this up, you know? Right. And I, one thing I have found too, you're talking about, you know, life after the military or passions mm-hmm. outside the military or building yourself for whatever that next step is. I laugh sometimes because, you know, I am good at my job in recruiting because I have pursued other passions outside the military so far in my twenties. And now, you know, I nationally train recruiters on how to utilize social media to recruit people into the Navy. I never took a course on it. I never took a Navy class on it. The Navy has never taught me how to do that. That came from pageantry. I kid you not. That came from learning how to utilize social media to impress judges. Mm-hmm. That's how it, That's how I learned. And it was because Judges, look at your social media before you ever get on stage, ever. And I was like, wait, I'm good at social media. I'm, I was a photographer. I'm good at taking photos. I'm a great writer. I started, you know, really navigating my social media to place myself in a better position before I ever stepped on stage. And it worked. And so within my last two years of recruiting, I was like, I can do the same thing in the military when I was a medical recruiter. And so I created an account, my Lieutenant Hall account, which is what we connected on. And that's exactly what I started to do, except now instead of the judges, I'm targeting my audience, which at that time was medical students. And I started changing the language and making my posts attractive and following the Ohio State University Wexner Center and the James. And that's where I learned it from. So if I hadn't ever done a pageant, if I hadn't ever competed, I wouldn't understand that level of competition that it takes to be a standout online. And that is what I do now in the Navy. And, uh, you know, literally my training shop just called me a couple hours ago and they're like, hey, ma'am, can you give some of your infamous social media training to our new recruiters? And I'm like, yeah, how great is it that I was able to build the skill, you know, using my passion outside the military, but bring it to the military forefront and find, you know, a way to do this that's different, but it works. And that all comes from challenging yourself to do stuff outside the military. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the modeling, the confidence. Like now I, I get put on camera all the time for random things for the Navy, which is incredible, but I'm, I'm never nervous and I'm able to execute it because I've done so much public speaking and I've done modeling and I know how to present myself. And so I feel like the Navy has that confidence in me to be able to deliver a message on behalf of the military for a commercial or for an interview or whatever it is. But I built that confidence through my passions outside of the Navy first. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that you mentioned, of course, with an HR background and how you're utilizing social media in the private sector. When you do get off active duty, you better have a really good um, social media platform that's out there because HR people will do some surfing to make sure you're on the up and up. You're legit. You're someone that they uh, want representing their organization. Oh, absolutely. I even do that now whenever, um, for example, you know, running my own podcast, if I have marketing teams that reach out and they're like, hey, we'd love to market your podcast. I check them out first. Like, mm-hmm. well, how are you marketing yourself? You know, what does your social media look like? What does your website look like? And if they're not killing it for their own company, I'm like, why would I trust you with mine? Yeah. You know, and so exactly like you have to build that kind of presence yourself so you have that resume. Yeah. So what would kind of advice would you give individuals that are looking at, at everything that we're talking about here? And I know that we've highlighted a few things. Obviously, you want to make sure that, you know, you're putting your 100% every bit of effort and then some into your day job before you go out and pursue other passions and everything. You want to make sure that you're well organized. You want to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're doing the right things in social media as far as what you're putting out there so that the image that people will see, they'll get the right perception, hopefully, or mm-hmm. if they don't don't. Um, maybe you need to modify it in such a way that you're putting the proper message forward. But what other tips would you provide individuals who are seeking a passion while they're on active duty or while they're trying to juggle two different occupations or uh, maybe a passion and a job, I should say? Is there Are there any other tips? Oh, so many tips. Um, I'd say, first and foremost, treat your passions like a job. You know, if that ma- if it matters that much to you, you know, maybe not your primary job, which is the military, but treat them like a second job. So for me, that's, you know, my podcasting or my photo shoots or even working out, you know, doing the Sports Illustrated Swim Search, that uh, the physical aspect to it is super important. So I, I work out before work even starts, you know, every single day. And when I was competing, I would work out at five in the morning just to squeeze it in. But I had to. I mean, when was I going to do it? So if it matters to you, if it's something that you really want to pursue, you need to have that conversation with yourself and realize the time is there. You know, we're all given 24 hours. Um, one of the, one of my favorite quotes is Beyonce has 24 hours in her day too. <laughs> it's like, well, that's true because she's done a lot, you know, but like we're all given the same amount of time. It's how you approach it. So approach those passions like a job. And the next thing I would say is communication. So with that, That means sometimes I have late nights. That means sometimes I have early mornings. You know, my fiance and I, he is very well aware that my podcast matters to me, the modeling matters to me, but I also still have to pay the bills. So there are nights when, you know, I'm working on my podcast till 10 at night and I'm doing interviews or I'm, you know, editing or whatever it is. And he's like, hey, like, well, I see you tonight you know and he's like what's going on but he's very aware I'm like nope sorry it's a podcast night I I have to do this and it was the same thing when I was competing so the communication with your family members is very important when you're serious about your passions as well as with your chain of command and I feel like a stress relief when I have communicated to my chain of command that I'm competing I'm doing the sports illustrated swim search whatever it is because they know now And when I get their support, that means a lot to me. And I also feel like I'm kind of in the clear. It's kind of like getting permission from your parents, right? It's like once they know, you're like, okay, I can breathe. Like, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing something bad. But for the military, you know, you have to have specific paperwork submitted for me. My paperwork went up to the Secretary of the Navy to compete in the Miss USA system. 
once the secretary of the Navy signed off, you know, on that paperwork, I was like, I'm good to go. Like I can, you know, compete and post and do this. And I also, I felt that stress relief because I would get the naysayers on social media. You say like Naval officers shouldn't be doing competitions or sports illustrated swim search. And I'm like, well, the secretary of the Navy said I'm allowed to do it. I'm going to say it's probably okay, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) but they don't know that. So that communication is definitely huge, but absolutely have to treat it like a job and then you need to have that extra communication with everyone around you because if you don't have that conversation with them early on you're going to feel guilty about the time that it takes away you don't have the ability to you know squeeze it into your nine to five you have to do it separately so um i just have continued to make that part of my lifestyle and those around me know it my fiance knows it. Like it's not a surprise that I'm doing all these other things outside of my job. We've said it before on the show that you're the, you know, the basically the sum of the five people you surround yourself with. And I think that in, you know, what you're describing here too, is you've got to make sure that you're communicating with that nucleus of individuals, both on your career Mm -hmm. side, both in out of the military um, side that may be part of that five, your mentors, everybody needs to kind of be aware of what your goals, your priorities are, because you're looking for that kind of confidence and feedback as well. When you Mm -hmm. have a down day, you know, when things are not going right, when somebody's coming, chewing at you because they see or have a perception as to what you're doing as far as your career, you know, you want to be able to lean on them. So I'm assuming you have a pretty strong five. You got a pretty strong nucleus of, yeah, of individuals. I do. I'm very lucky. You lean on That's your father sure. often uh, as well? Uh, since he's- I do. <laughs> I do. Um, he is definitely, we talk about mentors, biggest mentor in my entire life. And you know, I, I love how he kind of, you know, sometimes I can get, my family says I get very Kelly, like I can be, you know, very motivated, very disciplined, very enthusiastic. I'm always doing something. That's what they always say. Um, but sometimes he has to rein in that Kelly and he's like, all right, let's, let's remember you're still, this is your primary mission or this is what you need to do or to perform. And he has helped me remember that integrity piece of being in the military, of being in the Navy, because first and foremost, I'm a Naval officer. And no matter what projects or passions you get into, it still needs to reflect well upon the military. Mm-hmm. And so that is where my center is and all of the projects that I that I approach is, will is this helping the Navy? Is this helping my platform, which is, you know, showing those sides to women in the military and is this going to be a positive extension of the Navy? So even doing Sports Illustrated, you know, they can be, um, it can be very controversial. Their brand has changed significantly, but in my heart, I'm not going to do anything that's going to represent the Navy in a poor light. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to make sure that the branding is done well, the photography is done well, that my poses are tasteful, just because I feel like being in the magazine is enough of a message. You know, I don't have to necessarily do anything racy or crazy, but it's because I'm a naval officer at the end of the day. And you have to have that integrity with all the passions you're pursuing. We all know just because you hang up the uniform, you know, your job's not done. You know, your job, you're not stopping Lieutenant Kelly Hall. I'm always Lieutenant Kelly Hall all the time. You know, I always have sailors to impact and to lead into to I need to be this face for the military because that's what I signed up for. I signed up for that service first. 
So that integrity piece is huge. And I'm very fortunate to have a father who has a 30 year career in the military and he just like, nudges me when I need it. He's like, eh, don't forget, <laughs> still Lieutenant Hall <laughs> over there. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Like, okay, that's good. That's a good reminder. <laughs> I think we all could do well to find an individual that I describe as like an anchor or somebody that keeps you grounded. You know, somebody brings you, like you said, back to center, somebody that makes sure mm -hmm. that they know you well enough to go, okay, hey, listen, let's, it's not really bring you back down. You're floating too high out there. But at times I think, you know, whether we're, we're dreaming of something that's a passion that we think we may want to make as a career, um, we're going off in a direction and a career path that perhaps is not very healthy. You know, you need to have that individual that's part of that nucleus that we're describing too that helps keep it grounded and go, is this really your passion? Is this the really direction you want to go in? Is this really you? Or to your point, it might just be a more of a reality check of a reality check of, okay, hey, listen, um, you can't forget this is who you are and where you should mm -hmm. be focusing most of your energy and time at. So, you know, it, to me, that's that's a very critical individual as part of your you know your framework of friends you know for mm -hmm. sure exactly. and in your case it happens to be your father it does like, yeah. a nice little reminder <laughs> <laughs> i can only imagine All the time. <laughs> well kelly thank you so much for coming on i do want to give you a chance to talk about your podcast because i think that we'll have some listeners out there especially those who are aspiring females who are looking at you know whether a military career or just looking for some of the challenges that females experience especially even in the private sector um, as well as the military that they could listen to your show and get some uh, good insights so why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how they can go about finding it yeah well, thank you so much well you know i found that podcasting is such a powerful platform obviously yeah. you're aware of that too and there was a whole audience listening to podcasts i didn't even realize so i got into podcast about a year ago and i kept waiting for the opportunity to win a Miss USA title because I thought that I needed that, you know, that title to go along with my podcast. You know, I sure. need to be Lieutenant Hall and Miss California USA or Lieutenant Hall and Miss USA to really like step it up. I didn't win. You know, I already mentioned I didn't win and I thought, you know, oh, well, that's it. Like I'm just a Navy Lieutenant. Dang it. And then after thinking about it for a while, I was like, wait a second, I still have this huge platform, this ability to impact change and women and this mindset and this culture. And so I came up with the, the brand misunderstood um, because I never want to miss USA title, but I'm the queen of being misunderstood. That's what I always <laughs> say. Um, and I feel like there's so many misunderstandings about, you know, being a woman in the military or being involved in multiple passions or, you know, competing in a pageant or being a model, I feel very, very misunderstood. <laughs> so that's what the show is about. It's about kind of setting the record straight on all these topics. So every single week I release an episode about some sort of misunderstanding that we need to clear the air, hopefully giving others the tools for personal development, um, but really just having them open their minds about this, you know, a array of topics that I feel like aren't necessarily touched on, but I'm happy to talk about. So you can find it at uh, on iTunes or Spotify or on, on Instagram. It's at misunderstood.podcast with two S's for yep. Miss. Good deal. Thank you so much, Thanks. Kelly, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank y'all so much for having me. Congratulations and good luck Thanks. to you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.